Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Abel Areta Vidal describes himself as a Spanish-born, French-educated, British-inspired scientist, bioinformatician, and entrepreneur. With a background as a researcher, founder, C-level executive, and investor, Abel has a unique career perspective and talked to us about his startup story, business as a personal learning journey, and why you should always meet people. This week, I'm with Abel Areta Vidal. Abel, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Um, Abel, I'm really interested to get into the details of your career because you've covered a huge amount of ground uh, in, in that time. Um, can you start by just introducing yourself a little bit and, and who you are and what you're up to at the minute? Sure, no problem. So, uh, um, you know, when I do kind of um, talks uh, to young entrepreneurs and uh, they ask me this specific question, I always like to start with something a bit uh, grand. Mm. Uh, to give a bit, uh, uh, bit of view about my personality. Um, I, I like to introduce myself as a Spanish-born, French-educated, uh, British-inspired entrepreneur. Uh, that gives kind of, uh, in, a, in a kind of a very small soundbite to who I came and who, where I came from and who I yeah. am. Uh, I was born in Spain. Uh, my parents emigrated to France when I was four years old. Uh, uh, my dad was an economic migrant, okay, mm. and uh, and then I did all my education in France, university, PhD there, and I came to the UK only twenty years ago. Actually, this year is going to be my twentieth year in the wow. UK. And I take it we'll get into this, I'm sure, but I, I take it you feel from that introduction that 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 sort of past has really shaped where you are and your view on things. And how I, you... I'm I'm a strong uh, a strong uh, European. <laughs> Mm-hmm. believer uh, so I know being in the UK is, uh, is kind of a stand to take uh, I think we're, we're better together than kind of uh, alone um, and so yeah I have a Spanish uh, Spanish background and culture I have family still over there I have a family in France and friends in France yeah. uh, I, I draw from Spanish culture and French culture and I know uh, I've been 20 years in, in the UK although I didn't use the accent unfortunately yet <laughs> Uh, I, I embrace a lot of the values and culture of the of, uh, say, Britishness or Englishness, I would say. Yes. Uh, entrepreneurial aspect is one of them, yeah. I, I expect. Um, and, uh, and I try to pick the best of uh, every, every country or every culture I'm kind of, uh, I came from. Absolutely. And so in the course of your career, we'll, we'll go through this in, in a bit more depth, but um, you've, you've come from a, a traditional scientific background in a, in a couple of different disciplines. You've, you've been into bioinformatics and at the European Bioinformatics Institute, started and built a company um, and, and played various roles within that. Um, I guess to take it right back to the very beginning, um, why science? Where did the where did the interest come from? Why this career path for you, and and where did it all start? So I, I don't know. I think uh, you know. I remember when I was very very young, even primary school, I was always very curious. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the only thing I wanted to to do when I was telling my dad is I want to be a researcher. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I don't know when I was seeing documentaries or on TV that was kind of the base or, or, or reading uh, books was the science. You know, the, the fight of. Uh, 
the research, uh, you know, improving our knowledge uh, always right. fascinated me. I didn't know what kind of research I wanted to be, but I wanted to be a researcher. And interestingly, my dad uh, made a comment say, well, actually, do you want to be a researcher or do you want to be a, a finder? So, uh, because if you search but don't find, then you're not very successful. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a bit of a joke between him and me about that. Sure. Um, and science uh, was obvious for me. I'm, I like uh, math, uh, biology, physics. I was better at biology than physics. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and that's where I got into, uh, into biology uh, after my kind of uh, high school and then uh, going into university. Yes, and, and originally was it, it was biochemistry, correct? It was the first. Yeah, I started with biochemistry, a degree yeah. in biochemistry, then shifted into molecular biology and oncology, and the PhD was more around the immunovirology. Okay. And then uh, I did that at the Pasteur Institute in Paris. Yeah. Uh, and um, and yes, yeah, so I, I guess you know I, I didn't have a very clear career plan, to be completely honest. Uh, I did uh, you know. Uh, my kind of A level or the equivalent in France, the baccalaureate, and yes. uh, the obvious thing was uh, for me coming from a working class is uh, you know get a good diploma, go to university, so get a degree. Right. And and in biology, kind of uh, the, the the kind of uh, university path uh, is very much very academic. Um, and so um, you know uh, you do a degree, then you do a master, and after a master mm-hmm. you do a PhD. Um, and uh, I just followed the, the trend, basically. Um, uh, I never managed to get uh, at that time in connection with the industry. That's something that came much later in my right. career path. Uh, mostly because uh, I came from a, a working class background. There is basically, you know, study well, get a good diploma and get a job in a company yeah. or, or, or in academia. That, that yeah. was the plan. Okay. Uh, so I just kind of followed what uh, I was educated um, with, um, and uh, I had to kind of get deformatted and reformatted to to get out of that a bit. Well, we'll I'm sure we'll come on to that. <laughs> um, sure. That's, I mean, that's already by the time you've done your PhD, so that's already covering quite a broad range of disciplines, I guess. In, you know, doing biochemistry, then expanding to molecular biology, and then specifically oncology then over to virology and immunology. Um, and, and so how did that come about? Why, why that breadth and why those different disciplines? So, you know, when I finished my degree in biochemistry, your degree in master is, is very general studies, at least in France. Okay? Right. Um, and and the, the twist to, uh, to kind of uh, oncology came after I did my master. And by the way, I did my master in the UK. Uh, so uh, yeah. when I say I came 20 years ago, uh, I came to the UK with the Erasmus program. In, uh, in uh, 1991, okay? mm-hmm. uh, so again, uh, one of the great benefits of the European Union and the, the fact that there is money investing to get people exposed to other ways of learning, uh, other cultures, yeah. uh, that was fantastic. Um, and when I applied for different kind of uh, what's called master of honor, so you do the master in France and then before the PhD you do an, an, a fifth year, which is kind of uh, the master plus, if you will. Okay, yeah. Uh, there were different I applied to and one that's kind of uh, got my attention was the one in oncology. Uh, and what happened within that is uh, how to do a uh, kind of a, a lab project work. And that's mm. what I, I got into the Pasteur Institute. Uh, yes. quite, quite for me, a, a big achievement. I never thought I would basically join a, a big institute like that. So I remember going into the, the interview to, to, be, uh, to be chosen as, a, as kind of um, uh, an intern mm. for, for my, my master there. 
uh, and I joined a group um, that was doing molecular biology uh, and molecular epidemiology of uh, uh, human retrovirus yes. that is causing uh, um, leukemia in humans. Okay. Uh, and that's where I started into, um, uh, into DNA sequencing. I see, and when yeah. you say DNA sequencing and you sequence different strains of viruses coming from different parts of the world and you start doing multiple alignment and phylogeny, you have to do that with software. And that's mm-hmm. where I started to, to get into what was not called yet at the time bioinformatics, but bioinformatics. Yes. Um, and, and the thing is, I got interested in that way before that. So I remember my first time doing programming was in, in my A-level, mm-hmm. um, working on a, a, a very small desktop computer that came from Cambridge, actually, the okay. Sinclair ZX81. Uh-huh. People who yeah. remember that. So I'm just for reference. I'm 51. So uh, <laughs> when I describe my career, it's, it's 50 years now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started learning uh, programming basic um, uh, programming language on a, on the Sinclair ZX81, which was my first connection with Cambridge because Sinclair company was set up in Cambridge, UK. Right. Yes. And I didn't know I was connected with Cambridge at the time. So that was in the you know 84, 85. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so that was interesting. interesting. Yeah. So that, that interest in programming was always there. And then you were developing, was, obviously, the scientific. Yeah. I did a bit of programming, took a kind yeah. of uh, optional electives in, in the, in my, during my degree, mm-hmm. uh, because I was seeing that uh, it was something that was going to be important. Uh, uh, and so I was kind of uh, some kind of self-taught programmer somehow. Okay. Yes. And when I started my, my master doing uh, this molecular epidemiology of analyzing different strains of viruses, that's where you know, I had to use some kind of uh, primitive software to do uh, mm-hmm. uh, phylogenies, uh, which is very timely. You know, people are talking about you know, uh, SARS-CoV-2, you know, that's causing COVID-19, and we talk about all the different strains of the virus around the world is that a Chinese strain that is evolved to the European one and the Australian one that, you know, this is not new science. This is something that's been done for 20, 30 years now. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and it's just applied to a new virus. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, it so it's bringing me back uh, 20 years back in terms of when I see what people are doing with uh, analyzing uh, the, the variation of the virus. Yeah. And, and the, the use of those programming techniques, those bioinformatics techniques, and, and I guess the role of a programmer in that scientific setting now, nowadays is really central to all the research that's done, right? And bioinformatics is in most labs um, that, that you see, particularly in industry and certainly in academia as well. Um, I imagine sort of coming out of your PhD, going into a programming role, it was a very different world. Um, back then in terms of the use of those computational techniques? Yeah, so when I finished my PhD, so it took me a bit uh, longer than expected. So usually PhD uh, with your successful, it takes you uh, about three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it took a bit longer. I had kind of, it took me five years. Uh, I had some issues with the funding and so on, so I had to be fighting my way through. Mm-hmm. So it almost gave up, uh, to be completely honest. And if my wife was not there <laughs> to support okay. me for some period, I would have not done finished my PhD. So I'm, I'm quite grateful for that uh, um, to my wife uh, to have me, you know, behind me, you know, mm-hmm. to get that done. Yeah. Uh, but uh, after the five years, uh, I passed an institute doing a lot of wet lab work. Uh, I did a lot of immunovirology. So after studying the molecular epidemiology, I studied the immune response um, of the virus I was working on. Uh, and I had enough of wet lab. So right. the five years took its toll, and I wanted to move on. 
uh, and uh, that was 99, and that was basically where the Human Genome Project was starting to kind of uh, shape yes. and run okay. And at the time, uh, there was a big academic consortium uh, set up globally uh, where some countries had some money to invest, and France uh, put some money to sequence one chromosome, which was chromosome 14. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was lucky enough that uh, uh, I got in touch with the, the director of uh, the informatics department at the, the, the sequencing center for France, called yeah. the Genoscope. Um, and that hired me after my PhD to, to join uh, his group. Um, and I worked there for two years, and it was my first big uh, bioinformatic project. Uh, the, the main aim of, uh, of my work was to uh, analyze the DNA sequence of chromosome 14 and to do all the, the predictions to find the genes within that, um, that chromosome. Yeah, uh, and that was a great learning uh, because it was not just me; it was uh, with a team of about uh, another fifteen uh, bioinformaticians, all basically getting into this new discipline from different angles. So I was coming from the biology sector programmers, but there were people coming from telecommunication or pure software engineering uh, in okay. the field. Uh, and that's why I've learned about uh, you know large-scale computing, HPC, uh, and all the kind of to deploy uh, complex analysis pipelines uh, across more than just one machine. So, mm -hmm. uh, that was a, a great learning curve. Um, and uh, yes, and I was there. And I, I mean, for a Frenchman, I had kind of the dream job somehow because uh, it was in an academic institu institution. Yeah. Uh, it was a job for life. Uh, but um, my kind of uh, um, one thing that made me leave after two years was the fact that um, uh, it was too much French with French people to be, okay. uh, was kind of, I think my kind of uh, immigrant background wanted me to be exposed a bit more uh, right. to other cultures. Um, uh, and also there was no clear career progression. So mm -hmm. uh, it was, yeah, get the job there, but uh, all very, very slow. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I wanted a bit more exposure my wife as well and uh, and that's where we decided to come back to uh, when I say come back in my case because I did my master in the UK to, yes. to come to the UK and come to Cambridge yes and that was for the European Bioinformatics Institute exactly so uh, and that was in 2001 and uh, I joined the European Bioinformatics Institute that's his base here in Cambridge in mm -hmm. Kingston uh, exactly is about eight miles south of Cambridge yeah um, and I joined um, a very exciting project at the time that was set up, uh, you know, with funding from the Wellcome Trust in the early uh, um, kind of uh, 2000, uh, called the Ensemble Project. Yes. And the, that project was set up to make sure that uh, the human genome that was going to be produced and released to the world um, was going to be available freely to academia and industry uh, right. to the highest quality, the highest annotation at a time where uh, commercial entities like Celera, uh, that was a company in the US, was trying to lock down on, on, on the human genome and trying to kind of uh, get all the, the insights. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was kind of a, a great project for that. Um, to kind of be involved in, in that and making sure that it was there for everybody to to use and make yeah. discoveries. And you were there for you were there for a good few years, I saw. Um, so I was there. Did... Yeah, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I was there for about uh, six years. Yeah. 
Uh, how did it evolve over that time? Because I guess bioinformatics as a whole probably evolved yeah, over that time Yeah, I mean, too. I think at the time um, when I joined the European Bioinformatics Institute, uh, I think there were about 300 people in that institute. Yeah. Um, I think we are now nearly 650. I think the institute wants to be growing in the next five years to 800. So mm-hmm. you can see the, you can on the feel of... Uh, how this field is growing. Uh, but I was excited to join a very young team led by a young scientist, Ewan uh, Burney, who is now the director of the EBI. So he had right. a, a kind of, uh, uh, has an amazing career as well uh, and uh, a great leader. Um, and he was my client manager. So, uh, and he put me in charge of a specific aspect of, uh, of the project, which was around what's called comparative genomics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once you have the human genome, um, uh, ensemble manage it, uh, then the mouse came around, the rat came around, and many, yeah. many other species. And what's interesting in, uh, in, in comparative genomics, and because we are all related as all species, uh, is uh, when you have a gene in human, um, what is the corresponding gene in mouse or the corresponding gene in, in kind of rat, in, in, in kind of rabbit or fish, for example? Yes. Uh, so you can understand the function and, and what uh, kind of uh, this gene is doing. Um, and that required another kind of step change in comparing, you know, the whole genome of human, comparing mm. the whole genome of mouse and making those kind of uh, links. Um, and, uh, and the kind of, uh, the, the work evolved slowly uh, building a small team. So I was put in charge of a team, uh, you know, at the end of the six years I was there, I had a small team of six people. Yeah, uh, which was great for me because it was it was my first time as being kind of you know a manager as, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and learning uh, with trial and error. I did some big mistake in managing some people, of course. <laughs> um, uh, um, but you can also learn from, from by example by you know, looking at your own leaders. And so I've learned a lot uh, from from you and in that in that respect and others managers as well in, in the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very much kind of uh, trial and error. And uh, yeah. I think uh, in many organizations, there is, no, uh, there, there is not the support to say, you know, if you put you in, in a leadership position or in a management position, they can uh, let you go on your own. Either you're natural and it goes fine, um, uh, or you have to learn by trial and error. And I think uh, in organizations where you want to put someone in charge of other people, you need to have also some support of that person who's mentoring and coaching. Yes. Um, so th- that's one other thing I've learned. Okay. So, uh, um, and, and yeah, so six years there, um, EBI has a kind of an interesting kind of, uh, way of hiring people where you can only be there a maximum of nine years. Hey, I've heard this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it is a great, is a great way to have that, uh, uh, to to uh, incentivize young scientists and uh, mm-hmm. to learn um, because the EBI is part of the, of the European Molecular Biology Lab, and uh, when it was set up, uh, is basically to bring new scientists in early in their careers to meet new people, uh, work with scientists from all over the world, build skills, and then they can take that and go back to their own country if they want to, or to uh, other other parts. Right. And then because they leave, new people come in and so on. And I think. Uh, 
having this nine-year rule is, is great because he's, he's getting new blood all the time and mm-hmm. bringing to other new scientists to, to learn new things. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, that was a great experience. So uh, I didn't stay nine years, even though I was offered that because I was starting to feel a bit too comfortable there. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, um, uh, and I thought uh, I, I need to be kicked out to, uh, to kind of uh, <laughs> look at other things. So I kicked myself out um, uh, to take a year off to do a, an MBA. Right. Um, the main reason what did that... Um, I was always frustrated with my French education in in university that uh, uh, when you go into the academic path in France, it's it's very hard to get out and and go into industry when you don't have the right connections. And I didn't have that. Uh, So uh, I thought, you know, if I want to go into... um, into industry, you know, I have a PhD from the Pass Institute. is a good uh, is a good brand. Um, mm. you know, I worked six years in bioinformatics and genomics in a great project in a great institute. Uh, that's a good brand. Yeah, I just need now a nice uh, MBS time from a great university, and then I can go flying and uh, yeah. join a, a big corporation. Um, and so I did a one year MBA at the Judge Business School in Cambridge. Uh, and, and the aim was at the beginning to get that nice stamp and, uh, and you know, join R&D management in, in whatever life sciences companies. Right, right. For example. Um, and it happened that uh, there was an opportunity to start a, a business in economics mm-hmm. at that time. And that's what uh, I did with uh, my co-founders. Yeah. So I'm really interested in that decision because there's a few things you've talked about there that I guess you talked about having to change your mindset a little bit from the what you'd traditionally grown up with as well so you know you'd been brought up in this environment where as you say you go and get a good degree you get your education you go and work for a company and you have a job and that sets you up right and um you know that that's where a lot of people come from i think as well um and so you'd done that you've gone and got your phd worked in some great places as you've talked about um and you know the the i guess with the ebi Nine years probably seems like a long time at the beginning, but I guess it goes quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and then you're, you've gone to get your MBA with the idea that you're going to continue to follow the original plan, right? You're going to go and work for a big company and, and do things there. What was the, what was the change, do you think? Where, where did that, that feeling that actually... Oh, and also um, during your PhD, you'd had some of the funding challenges as well. So you've experienced that pain of, of funding and, and convincing yeah. people to, to, to back you. Where did the sort of spark come where you said, do you know what? I'm going to go out with my partners and we're going to start something and we're going we're gonna to start our own business. So uh, there was two things. One is um, I had basically a year at the MBA going back to be a student, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, playing almost Harry Potter because uh, you know, Cambridge University is a bit, a bit that, you yeah. know, with gowns and colleges. So it was kind of fun at the same time. So I was in a safe environment to explore new things. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and there is a, there's a lot of uh, kind of activity um, programs, seminars to uh, expose what entrepreneurship is about. Right. Uh, and so I joined all of those. Okay. Um, and you meet great people, great experiences and uh, role models. Um, so that was one thing about changing the mindset about, you know, people have done that before. Uh, why not me? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I tried to get all the kind of knowledge information of what it means to start a company. Okay. Yeah. 
uh, that's one aspect. Uh, the second one, uh, it was purely opportunistic. Um, so uh, uh, just before starting the MBA, um, I, I did a freelance consultancy with a pharma company uh, that was using the, uh, the open source software platform that I was working on at EBI. I see. Uh, and, uh, and they were deploying that internally to use the human genome that was publicly available, but they wanted to integrate their own private internal data with it. And, and they find that very hard to train people internally. So yeah. I did a freelance consultancy uh, with them uh, remotely at the time. Can you imagine that? So uh, right. two years ago. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, that was my first try at, uh, at you know, saying, oh, I have some expertise, some knowledge that those companies don't have, so I can mm. help them. Um, uh, I did that just before the MBA when I had time. Uh, and, um, uh, and then what happened is uh, when I was studying corporate finance, marketing, accounting, um, that was in November 2017, they came back to me saying, you know, we like what you did, you know, we'd like you to come for a week to do uh, some training to our staff and so on. And I couldn't, okay. Um, but I was in touch with uh, someone uh, that was um, my colleague at the EBI, Wood Spooner, okay, um, that ha- had those skills. And I said, well, I cannot do it, but I can recommend you someone. Right. So I gave that uh, that contract to uh, to my my friend, uh, and he went did his stuff and came back. And a few months later, so it was in March uh, 2018, uh, the two people uh, uh, we were kind of engaging in this pharma company in the US, mm. by the way. So uh, we came visiting a DBI. They were going to join a workshop, and they, they contacted me and Will, saying, "You know, we're going to be around for a few days. Uh, would you be kind of?" around you know for for dinner together we have something to talk to you about mm. and uh, and what basically they said is you know we like what you you two are doing for us uh we like your expertise and how you helped us and uh, you know the thing is we don't want a freelance consultant because they're here today and gone tomorrow uh you know if you start a company you're likely to get a contract that's it okay um, so, uh, you know, it was March, April, uh, I was starting also to prepare my CV to finish my MBA yeah, and yeah. jobs. Okay? And, and that, that was the kind of the, the kind of the decision to make, you know, are, are we, are, do I stop looking for a job or do I create my own job and, uh, and, and negotiate a contract? Yes. Uh, and that's how it started. And so, uh, I was using my MBA mates to, uh, ask them advice about consultancy <laughs> agreements, uh, NDAs and, uh, all this kind of legal stuff. And I yeah. was on the phone uh, negotiating daily rates and so on. And, uh, and we got a contract, um, and, uh, we started and incorporated the company on the 7th of May, 2008. Mm. So we're still finishing my MBA. So what Will and I did is for about four months, uh, we work, uh, um, evenings and, uh, and weekends and do yeah. some working capital. Uh, in the meantime, a third uh, uh, co-founder joined us, Richard Holland, um, um, and uh, by September, we had enough money in the bank to start paying us salary. Right, okay. It was good. not a huge salary, but uh, it was covering the mortgage and the, yeah. the, the bills, right? Okay, so... That's it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and uh, yeah, and that's, that's how the whole thing started. So purely opportunistic. Uh, mm. the, and the fact that we could we could do it, and that there was a low risk, um, and um, and it was great learning. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's great to have that first contract, isn't it, as well, or at least the strong indication that you'll get that first. Yes, contract. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then I'm sure 
a lot happened over the the following 12 years and there's there's probably a huge amount we could talk about about that but can you just give us the overview of sort of the journey with the company and um i guess what i'm really interested in is is having done this mba you probably had a bit of preparation for it and and you've done some theoretical work around entrepreneurship and things like that um how different was it what were the surprising yeah. things so uh well i think enough um, what was great about the mba at least for me um is you get all the theory as you said okay right i when i started the mba in september 2007 um you know the first couple of weeks i was wondering what I was doing there because frankly there was lectures I, I, I had no, no clue uh, right. I was out of place completely out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. um, and um, but it gave me the understanding of what is business about what are different functions what you enjoy and you don't enjoy what you need the skills to bring in and uh, and and uh, so uh, that was a, a great um, a great starting point that said I would advise you know you don't need an MBA to start a company, okay? No. Uh, I needed an MBA to start a company, okay? Just because I didn't, I didn't have the knowledge, okay? Um, and uh, but that's theory, okay? Mm-hmm. Then, then the practice comes in, and uh, yes, I was going back to my notes, my books, and so on. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, very quickly, it, it went back to uh, try and error with what I remember from the lectures, and uh, and going back to books if it was required. Mm-hmm. Uh, but bringing all the the learning I had from the EBI in terms of manager, okay, and project yeah, management yeah. and so on, into uh, so there's a lot of things you learn in in one setting that you can transfer in another one. Of course, yeah. And uh, and the thing is about entrepreneurship. You know, you mentioned you know the, the fact he's doing my PhD and and the struggle to uh, you know. Uh, get uh, uh, my funding, my experiments right. Um, you know, people ask me, you know, I'm, I'm an academic, I'm a PhD, you know, should I start a company or do I have the skills? Uh, mm. I always say that if you manage to go through a PhD, uh, you have all the skills of entrepreneurial uh, <laughs> path because uh, you learn you learn to, to kind of not get discouraged with setbacks because yeah. a PhD is setbacks after setbacks. Okay? Uh, you don't take no as an answer when you have to go and publish an article and you get reviewed and they say no to you you don't give up you just kind of rephrase mm-hmm. it and go back and argue to it and uh, if you have to get your funding uh, you know you have to go uh, and, and sell your stuff right yeah which is what it is okay and in entrepreneurship it's the same thing you know start your own company you have to sell your stuff to customers to investors to get money even one investor says you know do you give up no you go to another investor you improve mm-hmm. it or you chase it and um, and uh, when you have experience that don't work in your PhD, it's the same thing with um, the product or the services you build. You try to improve it. Yes. So uh, I think all the skills I've learned in the five years PhD have been kind of copy and passed straight away in, in, into into that, and uh, mm. I get kind of a bit of the, the grit in terms of never giving up, keeping your head Absolutely. down, and, and pushing forward. Yeah. That's. Uh, in, in, that's kind of uh, got us to you know, have a company that is still alive today, uh, mm-hmm. 12 years. Yes. Um, and so where others blew up uh, in the sky. So, um, you know, so we didn't do everything right, but we did some things right. So Yeah, of course. Uh, and I think there's always, there's always things that you try that don't work out, right? Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, perhaps we'll, perhaps we'll have a chance to get into some of those, yeah. but we'll look at the good things as well. Um, I guess as well, I'd be interested to understand the things that that surprised you about it because I know, um, and maybe this was something you were prepared for from your MBA, but so I know in the last year and a half of running this company, the two things that have really 
surprised me or that perhaps I wasn't prepared for is first of all, how, how all encompassing having a company is in terms of your, your sort of mental focus in terms of it being on your mind all the time and, and just um, how much it really takes over your sort of field of vision. Um, and then also, and I guess it's tied to that, you can have all the business theory in the world and you can know exactly how to do everything, but it's actually the emotional side of it that's really challenging to manage because it's so important and you're nervous about it and you're excited about it. And, um, you know, I guess you build some acceptance of it and you made a point there that I think, um, you start a company and you have all these grand visions, right? Mm-hmm. And then you realize quite quickly that actually job number one is just keep the thing alive, just keep it oh, going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so were there things that particularly stood out as surprises to you or, or things that would have been good to know at the beginning? I um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I took it very much, and I think people should take it as a, a personal learning journey. Mm. Um, so the first five years of the company has been really, really hard personally, emotionally, uh, because, uh, you take everything at heart. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a 24 seven job, uh, with all that, that implies in terms of your personal life, your family life and so on. Mm. Uh, and the stress and, uh, and maybe uh, kind of uh, the feeling that you know you're the founder you're the CEO uh, you have the responsibility when you get staff and people that uh, everything is in, yeah. on your shoulders and uh, and I think uh, uh, the stress of having that responsibility uh, took me some years to kind of uh, shed off of that and say you know it's job do the job do to your best of what you can do and, uh, and, and let's see you know solve one problem at a time Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and don't bring too much stress at home because that's what I was doing at the beginning. So again, coming back to my wife, she took a lot of the strain <laughs> at the beginning. And and the thing is, you know, when you start a company and then you're an entrepreneur founder, remember that you will bring uh, your entourage with you. Yes, you cannot, and uh, and that is a commitment. Okay, and and often people forget about that. Mm. Um, so uh, you have to take that into account. Uh, and uh, and I think you know after the five it took me five years to kind of relax a bit and uh, because you hit some 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 stones and uh, kind of bad stuff and you mm. realize okay yeah I recovered that's fine and you get more resilient and uh, and you know uh, as the company goes through you know uh, twelve years we had to go through some you know restructuring as many yeah. companies do uh, the first time is really really hard. Uh, but when you see uh, kind of that's all the people that we had to let go or find jobs uh, in two weeks and uh, you recommended them or give them connection um, it makes things uh, easier yes and that's part of the life of the company so it's it's not it's not your fault or or whatever is is uh, is what you have to do okay yeah Um, so that's kind of uh, yeah that's kind of uh, it's been a great learning from personally my own perception of uh, of what's important, what's not important, and kind of uh, uh, get some kind of uh, relativity of uh, what's important or not, mm. I guess. No. I think it's an interesting point you make. I think you do build a tolerance for stress, don't you? And you, you tolerance yeah, 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 you build tolerance for stress and, uh, and, uh, and, and try to get back so, uh, to, to the essential, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you don't die, personally, you're still alive, you know, it's fine, okay? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, tolerance to, to stress. Okay, tolerance to, tra- to stress. Uh, I think uh, a different perception to risk as well. 
because one, one thing that I hate is when entrepreneurs are described as risk takers. I, I mm. just hate it because that's not true in my view. Uh, we are uh, entrepreneurs that start companies, uh, you know, are, are, are risk, what I call risk assessors. And, uh, yes. and if they take that risk, it's because they perceive that risk for them is tolerable. Okay? Mm-hmm. For someone else, it might be, oh, they are taking a high risk. Yeah, but that's your view. My view is for my situation, my circumstances, I can take that risk. Yeah. So if for me the risk perceived uh, is small, I'm not a risk taker. I'm just taking a small risk. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, you build that kind of measure of uh, uh, of risk as you go along better and better. Yeah, and, and you talked about um, viewing it as a journey and a learning journey, particularly. Um, and I guess you know. Um, so to to fill the listeners in, I guess you know after twelve years at Eagle, you're now looking at next steps and and what you're doing with your um, with your career going forward. What what are the key things that you're taking from that learning journey, and and you know what's it left you with in terms of I don't know principles or, or ideas that you you can, you think you can operate by. I, I think. Uh, um, it, it, Two things that I've learned, and it's not just from yeah, it's the twelve years in Eagle, but also from the MBA, is yeah, the, okay. is, is the power of, of networking and and uh, connecting with people. Uh, something that I haven't learned in my in my training at university in France. Okay, mm. uh, I don't I don't think it's quite different in the UK. Uh, I think it's quite the same. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, uh, you know, if you want to build something in a large corporation or in a company, in, in a startup, uh, it's with people, okay? And, uh, and you need to build those kind of uh, relationships. Um, and, uh, and, you know, when you are asked to meet someone and, uh, or you ask to meet someone, is, is, is always try to meet the people. Even mm-hmm. though you don't have the time, meet people because uh, you never know what comes out of a, a, new, a new meeting, okay? Uh, so that's one thing. Um, and the second thing is, uh, and that maybe came from uh, from my time at, at Pasteur Institute, uh, because Pasteur had um, kind of uh, a citation that is that uh, in French says, uh, la chance ne sourit qu'aux esprits préparés, which translates like, uh, luck's favor the prepared mind. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and, um, and, and the thing is, being prepared to... Uh, kind of grab an opportunity when it comes to you, okay? Uh, and, and, and the learning from, you know, since uh, my, my, even my university time uh, is that uh, if you don't see opportunities where you are at a specific time, it's not that there is no opportunity because at any location you are in, any place there is opportunities all around you, but mm-hmm. if you don't see them, uh, then it's kind of uh, maybe uh, your brain is overloaded. You don't see them. You're numb. Uh, just kind of change, change location. Yes. Uh, just to re-energize. And it doesn't mean change location in the sense of moving geographically. That's one way to do it. But mm-hmm. uh, if you stay still in, in your area in Cambridge, is change location, change field. You know? Yes. Uh, and, uh, and then then you get more energized and, and get to see opportunities that you couldn't see before. Uh, and, uh, and that's been working quite well for me in the last kind of uh, 30 years. Mm-hmm. When I was feeling a bit stuck in my career path or what I wanted to do is that was the way to get out of, uh, uh, get out of the hole somehow. Yes. Um, yeah. Kind of, uh, 
I, I think it's an interesting point because sometimes it's difficult to see the the institutional blinkers that you have on, right? And, and everybody has that. And yeah. when you have them, uh, it's been. I think it's a self awareness that you have them, mm. and uh, and complaining. Oh, you know, I'm stuck in this job, and and, and being kind of uh, resentful uh, is is okay. Fine. So what are you going to do about it? Okay. Yes. Uh, and um, uh, and it's taking those blinkers, as you said, out and, and seeing all opportunities elsewhere. But you have to kind of be self-aware of that, and then you have to action that. Yes, so absolutely. Sounds easy to say, kind of, uh, from my point of view, but uh, that's the way I've basically done it in the last 30 years in many instances, mm-hmm. and it, it seemed to have worked for me, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I think, you know, those are really useful um, principles or really useful ideas for people to take away from them, certainly. Um, So I'm not going to ask you to predict the future, don't worry. (laughs) But I'm interested in your views, Abel, and I guess from a couple of perspectives. um, Obviously, you talked right at the beginning about how you you are Spanish-born, French-raised and educated and and Mm. sort of British-influenced entrepreneur. So is that broad European influence on on Mm. your outlook? Um, You've you've been in academia, you've been in industry, you've been um, building a company that that works with lots of different companies as well. So I've seen Mm. lots of other businesses. and I suppose, you know, as we record this, it's the beginning of June as we're recording this, it'll come out later in the year, but we're in the midst of huge changes, right? So um, not only is, has everyone forgotten about Brexit that's still happening, but... <laughs> it's still there, yeah, yeah. There. It'll come back soon, yeah, yeah. But as you've touched on, we're in the midst of the, the COVID-19 um, situation, crisis, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I guess the world is changing on the back of that. But this... The biotech industry in particular in the UK, and I think particularly around Cambridge where you are currently, it's it's been in a very healthy place for the last few years. I mean, what what are your views on, I guess, where things are now in the industry and and where the the sort of the UK stands in uh, all of that currently? So, so uh, yes, I, I might give a, a bit of a, a Cambridge-centric view. I apologize sure. for that. But, um, you know, uh, I, I left my my company, Eagle, about, you know, in mid-April. So, you know, engineering my succession plan there. Uh, and now I'm involved in an investment fund called CMS Ventures. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's great for me because I'm moving from the entrepreneur, the one looking for money, to be the one uh, kind of uh, in, you know, giving, not giving money, but investing in, in startups yes. On, yes. on the other side. And I'm seeing a lot of uh, great innovative companies um, and there's a great future, great ideas uh, still here. Um, um, you know the, the current crisis. Uh, you know, uh, it will get better. Mm-hmm. That's what is optimistic in the. Uh, I don't know when. It might be eighteen months, two years, but it will get better. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when I started Eagle Genomics, it was in two thousand eight. It was in, yes. in the financial crisis, the worst kind of. Uh, um, and I think what I said to uh, any kind of person who wants to start a business, this is the best time to start a company. Mm-hmm. This is the best time, okay? Uh, because uh, you know, if you're in a difficult situation and uh, and you start building kind of uh, a good discipline uh, on kind of uh, getting to raise money uh, or not, uh, but maybe customers or getting mm-hmm. guy lean uh, with scarce resources, it can only get better. 
So it gets yeah. you in the right discipline. Do a lot with little resource. Um, plus, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you start now, I can offer, you know, in, in two years' time, things will, will get better. The mm-hmm. customers will come back, investors will come back as well. Uh, so if you do the hard work now, uh, things will get better mechanically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think, um, yes, the COVID is there, Brexit is there, fine. Um, but, you know, even if you start a company now here, uh, unless your market is very UK specific, you have to think globally anyway. Uh, True. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so you have to find uh, the way to adapt your business uh, legal structure to be able to sell in the EU, to sell in the US, to sell mm-hmm. in China. Uh, and there is ways to do that uh, regardless of, of Brexit. Uh, so, uh, and uh, if there is no trade deal agreed, that's fine. You know, I set up subsidiary in France or Germany and uh, mm-hmm. hire people there or in the US. It's not, uh, you know, I don't think businesses are uh, kind of uh, tied up by trade deals, frankly. Yeah. No. That's my personal view. Uh, if uh, the environment is not right in the UK, what will happen is the company will move elsewhere. That's, yes. that's the adaptation. Okay? Yes. Uh, now it's for the UK and the UK government to make the right things so the company stays in the UK. Okay? So, uh, but that's not my job. That's their job. Okay? Yeah, so, of course. <laughs> um, uh, and, and it's not because of Brexit or COVID that uh, kind of you should not start a business. There will be mm. businesses, new things uh, to, to do. Uh, so yeah, it's a great time to, to start something now. So if yeah. you have ideas, just um, don't postpone them. In, on the contrary, invest your time and energy now on them. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose any challenging market or any challenging economic situation, as you've said, is going to force you to be really sharp in how you operate, right? And um... exactly, exactly. And and they still, you know, if you're looking for you know investments, uh, and again, you know, the best money is from customers. So if you have customers, you know, yeah. get money from them first. Uh, they steal money around. So uh, mm-hmm. the, the kind of the investors have been looking after their current portfolio companies for the last two months. I think things are relaxing now uh, and they are kind of uh, resuming discussion with new investments mm-hmm. because they still have money to deploy. Uh, and, and there is money, uh, in my God. Uh, That's good of, to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is money. So it's, it's, it's just that you need to have the right uh, idea, the right team, um, and the right implementa- implementation and execution. To yes. convince people the money and, and they can offer place a bet on you. Yes. And I suppose what, what people may not realize about particularly venture um, firms is that they they need to find places to invest their money, right? And oh, yeah, exactly. Got that money. So for them, keeping the money in the bank account is, is not mm. an option. So they need to deploy, okay? And, uh, and, and they cannot wait uh, two years uh, to have things. So they're going to be deploying money now. Yes. Uh, so, uh, and uh, so, yeah, you can offer... Yeah, I cannot try. Those people listening, (laughs) try. Now is the time. Now is the time. No, but I suppose as you you said um, about your own company, you know, it's always going to be challenging starting a business, right? And there's always that first few years is always going to be difficult. So it might as well be hard now. The naivety, I always thought, you know, oh yeah, let's get eagle off the ground, you know, and once, mm-hmm. you know, in two years' time, we'll be established and then be fine. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's never like that. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of um, an unstable uh, equilibrium. Mm-hmm. And when you look at big companies, the same thing, you know, uh, you look at British Airways, look at Rolls Royce at the moment, uh, and uh, even when you're an established, uh, you know, old company, is you're always basically a balancing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of getting used to the balancing. You're never an established company. You know, uh, that, that's never established. You can 
you know, can disappear uh, one year to the other because you didn't see the the competitor, you didn't see the business model changing, uh, so you're never ever established. So, yeah, uh, learning about that. Yeah. No, I think that's a fair point, and um, in some ways, it's less risky to be part of a startup in these sort of situations, isn't it? Because you, your overheads are lower. You've got less cost structure than some of these big businesses. And I know people who run big oh, yeah, definitely. thousands of employees and it's, mm. it's really scary for them because they have yeah. these huge payroll to hit. And Yeah. I mean, you know, when we started the company, just go back to the beginning of Ego, we were for about nine months, mm. uh, we were kind of uh, remote. Uh, I was using my kitchen table for a weekly operation yeah. meeting. That's it. So the kind of the, the amount of money we had to spend was very, very minimal. And I think, uh, apart from maybe biotech, we need wet lab access and so on. Um, uh, at least in the digital world, uh, you know, the barrier for entry is is very, very minimal. Mm-hmm. Very minimal. so. Uh, uh, yeah. So start if you've yeah, got an idea. Start. Start. <laughs> start. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so look, we've covered a, a lot of ground today, and I think there's been some really interesting things in there. We've we've talked about a huge range of different um, different ideas and different thoughts and different ways things that you've learned over the years. Um, if there was maybe one or two things that you wanted to leave the audience with, and and primarily I'm thinking here about people who are starting their scientific career, or perhaps people who are thinking about starting a company. You've talked about that quite a bit just now. Is there, is there sort of one or two thoughts that you'd want to leave them with? I think uh, maybe in terms of the entrepreneurial thing, I think um, I, I would advise to start a company as soon as you can, as mm-hmm. young as you can. I started mm-hmm. my at 40. I think uh, I've lost about 10 or 15 years there. Right. Um, and so I have three boys and uh, I'm trying to mentor them in that. Whatever it is, whatever it is, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the learning you will have on that, you, you can transfer that to any business, any sector, and you keep that for life. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that would be my, my advice. Uh, start as young as you can. Okay. Uh, the second one is when you start a company, you know, it took me 12 years to exit Eagle. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, uh, an entrepreneur has many ideas, I think, and uh, and the thing is, when you're stuck so long for in, in one company, you don't have the the, the breadth to exploit or, or mature other ideas. Right. So, uh, for me, kind of the learning uh, is uh, is kind of have a plan to you know, obviously invest your time in in the in the company because I think for building value, you know. Seven years is uh, is what you need to put. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are lucky, three five years uh, because you have something magic. Uh, it's right. great. Twelve years in my case, I think it was a bit too long. Okay, and um, and the thing is uh, now I know it is when starting a company is is having the plan to to exit and uh, and do other things a bit earlier. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of when you start a company, think about the exiting. For your personal path, I think that's kind of right. the things that uh, that people forget uh, is uh, is the company um, will become is an entity at some stage uh, with people, with staff, uh, with uh, a board, with investors, mm-hmm. and and the company is not you anymore. Okay, yes. uh, and then you become a kind of a cog in the in, in in the company, which is fine. The thing is, do you want to be that cog? For very many years. Right. If you are happy with that, fine. But if you're not, how do you plan so you take yourself out? This cog and this cog is replaced. Okay, mm-hmm. and then you can do something else. 
so, so it's, it's hard to say I'm saying start, but start with in mind where's your journey, what do you want to be doing? Yes. Uh, and in my case, when we started with my wife, we had a ten-year timeline. So uh, I kind of uh, we kind of uh, went over by two years, but that's okay. That's not too bad, though. That's, no, that's not too bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Well, Abel, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for talking to us, and it was great to speak with you. Thank you. You're welcome, and uh, thank you for the uh, the conversation. Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery. And don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make hiring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.